Well, Aaron mentioned it. We are 14 days away from Christmas in just uh, two short weeks. We'll be gathering for Christmas Eve services and, and celebrating all that's coming. Are you guys excited about it? All right, that sounds good. Yeah, some of us, I, I have a little bit of like fear in me. I, I'm not a great gift giver. So I always, trying to find the right gift always uh, causes me some anxiety. Uh, so I usually just take on the stocking stuffers for our family because that's simple. Uh, so we're, we're getting excited. One of my favorite things about Christmas morning is, is sitting around with Angela and our three kids and just sitting on the couches and enjoying some unhurried kind of slow time together. And my kids are older now. So they actually let me sleep in, which is really wonderful. I, I'm used to knocks at the door at about 5 a.m. asking about, is it time to open gifts yet? And I haven't had that in a couple of years now. So that's been really nice. And we'll sit and we'll, uh, we'll read the Christmas story from the Bible. We'll eat some Jesus Christ, uh, birthday cake together and uh, we'll open presents. And it's really a great time uh, with my, my, my little family. We love it. Angela will always buy something for us that she'll give us the night before that we can all wear together on Christmas morning. So sometimes it's like socks or slippers. Sometimes it's pajama pants or a t-shirt or a hat. Uh, a couple years ago, she bought us uh, all one of these things, which is like a blanket, but it's a blanket that you wear. So it's got armholes in it. And it's got leg things that uh, are like feety pajama bottoms, you know? And so you wear this on the front of you because you're laying on the couch, so the back's covered. So you wear this on the front of you, and it's got a pocket in the front. You can put a remote, you know, the TV remote in there or a bag of Doritos or whatever you want to put in there. And uh, so all day, we just walked around in blankets. It was probably the best Christmas we've had in a long time. So we just love it. Now, uh, I want to acknowledge that for some of us, uh, when we think about Christmas, it's, it's not quite the same kind of feeling. There's not quite the same excitement about it, uh, especially maybe this year. For some of us, when we think about Christmas, we're going to have to be with family that it's difficult to be around. You know, there could be others coming into town that you're like, okay, I've I got to gear up for this. I've got to get emotionally ready for this person to be in my house. You know, I mean, that's a reality. Uh, for some of us, as we think about gathering on that Christmas day, we know that um, maybe the kids are going to be with the in-laws this time, or someone else is not going to be with us we were looking forward to seeing, or, or perhaps there's even been someone who passed away this last year, and there's going to be you know, an empty chair at the table this, this Christmas. And, and, and that's, that's difficult. That's, that's uh, sadness and suffering in some ways. Some of us think about Christmas, we're going to be uh, alone on Christmas. You know, maybe not lonely, but we are going to be alone for this Christmas. And that's going to be a different experience for some of us. This morning, I want to read an Old Testament Christmas song that reminds us that in the midst of those realities, that God is with us, that God knows and he cares and he walks with us. I want to read one of David's prayers from the book of Psalms. And we've got copies of this around the room. You maybe have found a little white sheet of paper on the seats next to you. I want to invite you to find one of these. Um, and you can share it with someone next to you or pick up your own. Uh, look at the row behind you or in front of you because they're spread all around. And this is Psalm 16. And uh, we've printed them off for you because we want to interact with this psalm this morning as we read through it. And so you'll see at the top of this little page, there's some instructions. And if you're watching at home, uh, just pull out your Bible and you can make some notations in your Bible if you'd like. But here's the instructions on the top of the page. It says, circle keywords. So as I read through Psalm 16, I'd love for you to circle any words that you think are important in this psalm. Maybe 
words that are repeated or words that just sort of jump off the page at you that kept capture your attention. Just circle those words. Uh, second instruction here is underline questions. So if there's a phrase or a question and you're like, well, what does that mean? Or what's that talking about? Just underline those things, something that maybe you'd look at later to learn some more about. The last instruction here is draw arrows to connect thoughts. So if there's a word that you think connects to another word later on in the Psalm, or, or if there's, you could even draw an arrow off the page and say, well, in the New Testament, you know, it's a, you know, this connects to somewhere else in the Bible, but draw some arrows of connection as well. And so I'm going to read the Psalm, invite you to, to kind of doodle away on this p- piece of paper. And then I'm going to probably ask after we read it, if there's anybody that wants to share what they saw in the text this morning, a, a word or a phrase that you saw. So follow along Psalm 16. This is a Psalm that David wrote. Protect me, O God, because I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Without you, I have nothing good. Those who lead holy lives on earth are the noble ones who fill me with joy. Those who quickly chase after other gods multiply their sorrows. I will not pour out their sacrificial offerings of blood or use my lips to speak their names. The Lord is my inheritance and my cup. You are the one who determines my destiny. Your boundary lines mark out pleasant places for me. Indeed, my inheritance is something beautiful. I will praise the Lord who advises me. My conscience warns me at night. I always keep the Lord in front of me. When he is by my side, I cannot be moved. That is why my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body rests securely because you do not abandon my soul to to the grave or allow your Holy One to decay. You make the path of life known to me. Complete joy is in your presence. Pleasures by your side forever. It's a great Christmas song for us this morning. So as we read through there, anyone circle some words? Uh, Anyone find some key words in there? Anyone want to share just a word that you circled? As we read through my inheritance and Lord, I heard here. Yeah. Refuge. Yeah. Anyone else? Keyword that you saw destiny. Destiny, That's important. Joy. Yeah. I circled joy. It's in there twice. I circled inheritance as well. I circled path of life at the bottom. I, I love when scripture talks about the path of life. I want to be walking the path of life, you know, instead of the path towards death. How about uh, questions? Any words or phrases that you underlined? Anyone want to share what they underlined? Yeah. My conscience warns me at night. Yeah, what is that about? That's a great question. Other ones you underlined? Okay, you guys got to get better at asking questions. Okay, you got to... Boundary lines. Okay, that's one I underlined as well. What, what are the boundary lines that... David's writing about, I underlined holy one to decay. That's an interesting thing to think about. What is, what is David referring to there? How about arrows? Anyone draw any connecting arrows that you want to share? A word, two words that were connected or phrases that you saw connected? The word good. Saying only God is good. Yeah, okay, yeah, awesome. I saw uh, in the first verse refuge and drew a line to verse nine. My body rests securely, securely in refuge. And also the holy lives in verse three with verse 10, the holy one 
to decay. There's those two holy lives, holy ones. So it's good to ask questions and to make these connections as you read scripture. And in my Bible, there's actually a title at the top of this Psalm. And some of the Psalms have titles in them. Some of them don't, but mine says it's a a mictum of David is what mine says. Mictum is a Hebrew word and it's a confusing Hebrew word. So the translators don't even translate it. They just put it in there as it is because they're not sure exactly what it, it refers to. Uh, There's some other words like this in the book of Psalms that we encounter that uh, scholars think maybe have something to do with the the music itself or the tempo or instructions about pauses in the music. And a mictum, it's only used here. It's in six of the Psalms have that title, a mictum of David. And uh, it's similar to a word that has to do with inscriptions or carving or another word that has to do with covered in gold. And so some scholars think, well, maybe it's a way of identifying that these are songs that have value, that you would, you would, you would chisel it into some rock or you would, it's like valuable, like gold, uh, like David's top 20, you know, like these are one of the top hits of David in the, in the, the book of Psalms. Uh, but, but again, it just says make them because they're not sure. And, and verse nine for me seems to be kind of one of the, the main verses, kind of the core of his message. Verse nine, that is why my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. And that that is why he, at verse eight, one through eight, he's giving us reasons why his, his soul uh, rejoices, why his heart is glad. He's kind of giving us reasons for that. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I would like my heart to be glad. I would like my soul to rejoice. Joy and gladness seem like better choices than despair and sadness. So I'm curious about David. I'd like to walk the path of life that he writes about. And since David has found a way to embrace goodness and and since his soul is filled with joy, I want to know what got him there. You know, what are the decisions that he made? What are the words that he repeated? What are the habits that he built into his life so that he could find that purpose and that hope and that connection with his creator. So we look at the passage, we look at Psalm 16 and ask that question. Well, first verse one, I see, he says, I take refuge in you. I take refuge. One of the first things David does is take refuge in God. And this fills his soul with joy. And in, in the book of Psalms, there's about 40 different times that the Jewish people are encouraged to find their refuge in God alone. And, and taking refuge in something means that you trust it to protect you. So on Friday, when the rain started coming through, if you were out and about running errands or coming home from work and you pulled up to your house or pulled up to a building, the rains are pouring down and you jumped out of your car and you ran into the house or you ran into that building. What were you doing? You were seeking refuge. So you left the refuge of your car out into the rain and you ran inside that house knowing that once you got inside, the roof would protect you from the drenching rain, that that you would no longer be out in the storm, but you would be safe, uh, dry inside the building or inside the house. You You were seeking refuge. The Bible invites us to take refuge in God, to find our protection in God. It says, take refuge in God because you can't find refuge from God. He is, he is always present. He is always with you. There's no place you can go where he is not. So you, you cannot run from God. So why not run to God? You can't hide from God. So why not hide in God? Why not you find your refuge in his presence and in his protection? Place yourself under the authority of God. And in that place, you will find refuge in the storms of this life. Your salvation is found in the refuge of God's power. Sometimes the Bible talks about refuge and, and it's like coming underneath the wings of God. 
like a, like a bird holding his little babies underneath his wings. And so like Psalm 91, we read these words. I will say about the Lord. He is my place of safety. He is like a fort to me. He is my God. I trust in him. He will certainly save you from hidden traps and deadly sickness. He will cover you with his wings under the feathers of his wings. You will find refuge. God is faithful. He will keep you safe like a shield or like a tower. We all have times in our lives when we feel vulnerable times when we feel exposed to hardships when, when life seems to be attacking us or others are attacking us or people are talking about us or using our words against us. There's times when we feel alone and we say, will I ever have a true friend? Times when we're sick and we say, will I ever feel good again? Times when our body stops working the way it used to. And we say, I wonder if I'll ever be back into the way it used to operate. And David says, God, you are the place I find safety when life is dangerous When life is difficult, you are the shelter I run to. And that's part of how he finds joy and fills his heart with with gladness. Second thing I see David doing here is he's embracing his inheritance. Verse five and six, he writes these words. My inheritance is something beautiful. And when you hear the word inheritance in the Old Testament, I want you to think about the people of Israel in the wilderness heading towards the promised land, wandering through the Sinai Peninsula, what now is the the country of Jordan. That's kind of where they were moving around. And for 40 years, they lived in tents and they would have to pull up their tents and move to a new location. And they were never sure where the water was going to come from or where the food was going to come from. And and they, they longed for the land of promise. They were looking towards the place that they would be able to call home, their, their inheritance, It was their destiny. Psalm 16 says that this land that their ancestors lived in for generations and they were taken from, and now they are returning back to it. It was their inheritance passed down to them year after year. It represented for them strength and rest and blessing this land of promise that they were heading towards. Now I I loved my dad. He was a great father. He passed away several years ago, but uh, he, he provided for me. He coached me. He advised me. I trusted him. Uh, But my dad didn't leave me any land. Like there's no acreage in Colorado waiting for me someday. You know, there's, there's no uh, property bequeathed to be me by my family. Um, But, but I still have an inheritance from, from my father. I am who I am today because of his influence in my life. And, and you have an inheritance as well because of your family. Now, some of you can identify the helpful ways that your family has spoken into your life. And some of you can identify the hurtful ways that maybe your family has spoken into your life. There are parts of our familial inheritance that some of us would rather not have, but, but God will take everything and he will, he will shift it. He will use it for good in our lives. Even the hardships we've been through. If we allow God, he can redefine it for us and the comfort he brings to us. We can use to comfort others. And there's good things that he will bring even in the inheritance that we have. And David says that God is the best inheritance of all, even better than an earthly kingdom, even better than a throne is this hope and joy that God pours in to David's life. David says the boundary markers have fallen in good places. And this is echoed in Psalm 18. David writes these words in Psalm 18. The Lord brought me out into a wide and safe place. He saved me because he was pleased with me. The Lord has been good to me because I do what is right. He has rewarded me because I lean, I lead a pure life. David says, there's my boundary markers are wide open places that God has led me into. Jesus would say in the new Testament that, that he knows, he says, I I know that you love me when you do what I ask you to do. 
when you do what I've commanded you to do. This is inheritance language. When we choose to surrender ourselves to the spiritual family that we are a part of, the way of Jesus, and we choose to love others the way that we want to be loved, and we find that our lives expand, that there is a blessing and there is grace in the midst of that. Even when our physical realities look like we've been abandoned, we hold on to this truth that, that the grace of God is with us, walking with us. The power of God is available to us. We, we don't get fixated on what our eyes can see. We, we look above what we can see in this physical world, and we believe that God is at work behind the scenes, that he is redefining things. He is moving in ways that would, would surprise us. And when, you're, when your life seems like it's closing in, when your reality seems to becoming, uh, become limited, we, we look to God and believe that he is creating boundary markers that create wide open spaces for us. Our good and faithful God moves through every challenge. Even those things that feel like a dead end will not be a dead end with our God. He will open up a way through. This gets us to one more place where David finds gladness, a reality where he secures his joy. David, the third thing is he rests in the fact of the resurrection. In verse 10, he says, you do not abandon my soul to the grave or allow your Holy one to decay. Even death will not be the end of the story. David says, God created us for life and he invites us to walk in this life that will not end. He says, David, you, David says, God, you, you make a path, the path of life known to me. There is a way to walk in life. For the greatest enemy that stands up in the way of God is death. God created life, but, but we choose, we choose death so often. God created us to, to join in with this divine community to experience the community of love and grace of, of God, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. But, but we settle for these limited pleasures and temporary relief. David writes to encourage us to lift our eyes above the chaos and the strife of this world and focus on the eternal life that we are fashioned for. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words. He says, no, eye can see no ear has heard. No mind has known what God has prepared for those who love him. This life that God created you for, it's beyond what we have seen. It's greater than what you have heard. It's more than what you have thought about. Jesus said the one reason he came to earth was to give you life, abundant life, full life. You were created to live and not die. And this is part of why Psalm 16 is a Christmas song in the Old Testament. This, this promise of death, uh, life after death, it, it connects this prayer of David with our Savior, with Jesus. And there's two places in the New Testament where people write about this psalm and connect it directly to the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to look at those with you. And it's in the book of Acts. So if you've got a Bible with you and you want to flip open, open to the book of Acts, and I want to look at these two places where Psalm 16 is, is redefined as a Christmas song. And the first one is in Acts chapter 2. And Peter stands up in front of, of thousands of Jewish people that are in Jerusalem for the festival and he gets their attention. And, and Peter gives his first sermon in Acts chapter two, the same guy who a few weeks before had denied even knowing Jesus, who said, I don't even know who you're talking about. Now he stands up in front of thousands and he shares the good news about Jesus with, with Jewish people from all around the ancient world. Acts chapter two, we're going to pick it up at verse 24 and, uh, Peter talks about, he speaks with this boldness and he talks about God's plan from the beginning and how God sent Jesus to, to give his life for every person and how Jesus died on that cross. And then in verse 24 of Acts 2, Peter says, but God raised Jesus from the dead. 
freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. David said this about him. And now he quotes Psalm 16. We were just reading. I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy one see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And there's like half of Psalm 16 that Peter quotes. Verse 29, he continues in his sermon. He says, brothers and sisters, we all know that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here today. He's like, we've all gone on that tourist journey of the first century to go see David's tomb. We know it's there. But David was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that God would place one of his descendants on the throne. And seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. In verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. And I imagine Peter going, all of, we all, you know, are witnesses. And he, a hundred or so behind him that had watched Jesus come back to life, that stood as that early church was being formed on that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. And Peter says, David was more than a shepherd who became a king. He was more than a musician who wrote songs. David was a prophet who spoke about the Messiah who would come, who would die and come back to life and set the world right. Peter wasn't the only follower of Jesus in the first century to make this connection. If you flip about 10 chapters to the right to Acts 13, we see Paul also talking about this Psalm and connecting it to Jesus. Paul who planted churches all around the ancient world and, uh, and spoke. And this was Paul's first sermon as well. As he stands in the, uh, the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, which is in the country of Turkey today. And Paul and Barnabas come into town, his traveling companion, Barnabas, and they, they come in on the Sabbath and they go to the, um, they go to the uh, tabernacle there and they, they come into the presence of God with the people, the Jewish people, and they hear the Torah being read. And then the, religious le- the Jewish leaders turn to Paul and Barnabas and they say, do you have anything for us? Your guests here this morning, any word from God, any word of hope you want to share with us? What a great inter- introduction. And Paul says, yeah, I got something to say. Paul stands up and he talks, uh, kind of gives him a quick history lesson of the Jewish people. And then he begins to talk about this promised one who would come. And he says, Jesus came and he says, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and the Roman empire killed him, but he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And so in Acts 13, verse 35, Paul in his first sermon, he says, so it's also stated elsewhere. You will not let your Holy one see decay. There's Psalm 16. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Verse 38, Paul says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Paul says, there's a new way for us to know life. There is one who has come to set us right. Psalm 16 refers to the one who who came to defeat death. Death, this primary enemy of God has been defeated. The thing that stood opposed to what God created us for. And death and sin are similar in that way. In fact, sometimes you can swap out sin and death for each other in the scriptures. Like in verse 39 of Acts 13, 
Paul says, through Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Well, you could say he's set free from every death because that is what Jesus did on the cross. Because of his death and resurrection, we have a, a different future destination. Death will not be the end of our story. Death didn't hold Jesus and it will not hold you. You were made for life. You were made to live. Death is a reality that each of us will walk through, but it's not even a stop along the way. It's not like we're on the highway of life and we have to pull up to some kind of toll booth that we have to wait for. It's just a moment that we encounter and move through and experience what is, de- what is next. Death is not the end of your story. And Paul makes this connection in Acts 13. And later he writes letters to the church, a lot of letters that we see in the New Testament. And one, he wrote to the church in Corinth. And in chapter 15 of that letter, it's a long letter. In the 15th chapter, he writes all about the resurrection. He writes about what we're looking forward to. This, he starts by talking about the back to life Jesus that so many saw. He says, we all saw him. And he names several who saw Jesus after he had died. And he says, at one point, Jesus stood before 500 and they saw him back to life. And then Paul takes on the doubters and those who say there's no way that people can come back to life after death. And then he, he talks about the, our new bodies, what it's going to be like when we come back to life, that they'll be like, unlike anything we've experienced in this life. He says, like, if you put a seed in the ground, when it comes out of the ground, it comes out different. Some of you guys are gardeners. Some of you plant gardens in the, the summer. You know, you know what Paul's talking about. I have a friend, Rusty, in, in uh, the Denver area, and he's got a huge garden in his backyard. And all summer, he cultivates this garden. And I'll come over, I would, used to go over and check it out, and he would show it off. You know, he's so proud of his garden. And then every September, he'd have a big harvest dinner and uh, invite friends over, and we'd eat everything from his garden, which was great, except I was always wondering where the meat was. You know, it's like all vegetables. All right, that's okay. You ever notice whenever you go to someone who has a garden in harvest season, they always want you to leave with some squash or some cucumbers or something, you know, and uh, Rusty wouldn't let us leave without a bag filled with vegetables that I would never eat, you know, and, but, but that's what Paul's talking about. He says, you put a seed in the ground and you don't expect it's going to pop out of the ground later. A seed just pop out. No, he says it comes out different. He says our bodies, we're going to come out different. Because you can't imagine what it's going to be. I don't know about you guys. I get excited about this stuff, about what we have to look forward to. What will it be like, this this life after death? What will eternity look like for us? I can barely get my mind around it. But it's promised to us because of what Jesus did. And Paul writes about it in that that letter to the church in Corinth in chapter 15. I want to read just some passages from there. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 22. Paul writes, if only for this life, We have hope in Christ. We are of all people to be pitied. If if it's only about this physical life that we have hope for, he goes, that's not enough. Because that's sad. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In Jesus Christ, all will be made alive. Every person that finds their refuge in Christ, every person that turns to him for forgiveness and life, every person that sees in Jesus their inheritance, the promise of everlasting life, they will be made alive. And Paul moves towards the end of chapter 15 and he's he's building to a crescendo. He's, He's gaining energy. He's writing towards a high point with passion to kind of the loudest part of his letter as he writes about the resurrection. And he wants people to focus in on what what Jesus has done for them. 
During this Advent season, we're taking a few weeks to talk about the songs of Christmas and, and how music speaks to us. And, and last week, we talked about dissonance and when two notes kind of rub against each other in the wrong way. And this morning, I want to focus in on crescendo, this idea of music when it builds an energy and intensity. And, and, and good, good songs that do this, they do it in such a way that you can feel it coming, like you know that there's a crescendo about to drop. Even before it happens, you're anticipating it. And is it okay if I give you an example of this? Yeah, you're, you're not, you're, you're not going to fight me. So um, I'm, an, uh, I'm an old dad. I've got kids, but a couple of them are out of the house. And, and I've heard that old dads like a, a music group called Coldplay. That's what I've, I've heard. It's old, old dad music. And uh, I like Coldplay, and I'm an old dad, so you do the math. Maybe it's true. I don't know. But Coldplay has a song called Fix You, and it builds into a crescendo. And so I want you to listen to about a 45-second clip from this song. And some of you are going to love it. Some of you are going to hate it. This is going to be a miserable moment for you. But all you dads, we're going to love it. This is going to be, it's going to be awesome dad music. So uh, watch this uh, short little clip with me. We're only going to watch it once. Only one time. All right. Thank you. I got goosebumps. Anybody else get goosebumps? Those fireworks go off. I'm like, yeah, this is my song. Jerry, we got to turn that up next hour. Okay. Next service. Let's just push it up some. Uh, musicians use crescendo to, to shift us emotionally, you know, to move, move our hearts in a different way. Uh, that song, it just builds and builds and you can hear it coming, right? There's that repeated note on the guitar kind of hitting over and over again. You know, something's coming. There's a slow movement of the song as it's beginning to build. And I think that's what Paul is doing in this letter in first Corinthians. So he, he's hitting a note throughout the letter about the resurrection, about the life we're created for. And he's building an anticipation. He wants those who read the letter to understand that there is a hope they have beyond death. He wants them to find power and confidence in their lives because they believe that, that death is no longer a threat that they have to push against. It's been defeated. It's been taken out. And they are, they are looking forward to life everlasting. And so at the end of chapter 15, he's, he's building in this crescendo in verse 54. He writes these words. In fact, this is going to happen. What does not last will be dressed with what lasts forever. He's talking about us. What, what dies will be dressed with what does not die then what is written will come true. It says death has been swallowed up. It has lost the battle. Death, where is the battle you thought you were winning? Death, where is your sting? And he reaches this crescendo because of Jesus. You will not stay dead. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Because the Holy One, you will live again. You will rise to a new reality and a new experience. Death is defeated and new life is available to each one of us. Back in Psalm 16, David writes these words at the end. He says, make the path of life known to me. Complete joy is in your presence. 
pleasures are by your side forever. We celebrate at Christmas because we've been given this gift of everlasting life. Jesus was born to invite us to fill our hearts with joy, to help us experience life forever, to live through the crescendo into what is next for us. I want to invite the the worship team to come back up on stage here. We're going to sing together as we finish up. We're going to sing a a song called King of Kings. And it's a a great song to end with today because it echoes what we've been talking about. And I want to invite you to sing it with, with confidence, sing it with some conviction that you believe that Jesus has opened up life for you. Even if you don't know the words, even if it's not a song you enjoy, I want to, I want to invite you to sing out what, what it tells us about this, this beautiful story of Jesus conquering death that we might live and never die. As we talk about that, for some of you, maybe you've heard about Jesus or you know about him, you've, you've attended at church or you're part of a church, you're, part, you're new here, or perhaps you've been here for a long time, but you're, you're realizing that when you think about death, it's, there's a lot of fear there for you. There's a lot of anxiety. And maybe you haven't placed yourself under the refuge of Jesus. You haven't received the forgiveness that he offers you. And while we're singing this song, maybe this can be your prayer. Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. I need forgiveness. You are my king. You are the one who calls me my name. And I believe that life is the gift you offer me. So I want to invite you to stand. And let's sing this together. Kazoo, huh? That would be some crescendos uh, Wednesday night with the kazoos, I bet. Uh, Why don't you stand with me if you would? It's been so good to be with you this morning. I'm glad that we could gather, uh, that you could join us online, that we could uh, read scripture together and be encouraged by the truth that that you are not meant for death. You are not created for a few years here on earth. You were created for eternity. And God has set eternity in your hearts. Uh, You were made to live. I want to invite our, our prayer team to come up at this time. We have these prayer volunteers every Sunday available after church up front to pray with you and encourage you and And uh, if you want to see God moving in your life in some new ways, just come up and let us lift you up and encourage you this morning and pray with you. As you go now, might you know that the God of life is pouring life into you. So go and bring that life to those around you. Find uh, light in dark places. Bring hope to hopeless people. Uh, During this Christmas season, we, we get to bring this gift of life to others. So go and bring life. And we'll see you next Sunday. Go with God. Amen.